This episode of Pod Cemetery is brought to you by the Mill Valley Drive-In Movie Theater, now playing John Romero's Night of the Living Dead. The Mill Valley Drive-In. Get back in your car or get the hell out of here. Hello, my name is Chris. My name is Kelsey. And this is Pod Cemetery, where we dissect horror movies like the rotting corpses that they are. And this week, it's Scary Stories Week on Pod Cemetery with 1997's Campfire Tales and 2019's Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. Uh, Campfire Tales was recommended to us by Lex, so thank you, Lex. Uh, We're going with the 97 American version, even though there are other versions of movies called Campfire Tales. Uh, There's like a 91 version that's from somewhere in Europe. I think it's Danish or something like that. We are doing the American version. Directed by Matt Cooper, Martin Kunert, and David Semmel. With a story by Martin Kunert and Eric Maines. And screenplay by Martin Kunert, Eric Maines, and Matt Cooper. Starring James Marsden, Amy Smart, Christopher Masterson, J.R. Ferguson, Christine Taylor, Ron Livingston, and a bunch of others. What is Campfire Tales about? A group of teenagers get into a car accident and are forced to take shelter, and they end up telling scary stories to waste time. Yeah, it's an anthology where they tell scary stories over a campfire. Mm -hmm. It is not available anywhere. (laughs) We tried, we really did, and we normally avoid doing this sort of thing. But this one's been on our list for a while, and we were really feeling it, so... We decided to move ahead anyway. You literally cannot stream this anywhere, and even trying to find it through uh, maybe less reputable means, even that is actually not that easy. So good luck to you if you're looking to watch this. So I will ask you, Kelsey, should people watch Campfire Tales? It's not worth the effort of finding. If it were on TV... Yes. Sure, go ahead and watch it, but it's not worth any kind of effort to it definitely, go looking for. This is nothing new. This is nothing spectacular. This, yeah. is, this is not a hidden gem in the diamond in the rough situation. This is just an average teen horror movie that's just kind of like, okay. Yeah. That existed. Yep. That's a movie. I, you know, I agree. But it's also not... It is not offensive in any way. It's not laughably bad. It's just an just kind average of, just kind of movie. Is. Yeah. yeah, it would be a good movie to watch in like the middle of the day on a weekend. You know, when you're not, you don't have anything to do and you just want to put on a horror movie or something like that. It Like under those circumstances, something that might come on TV and you watch with commercials. Like, yeah, I don't know why it's not available to stream anywhere. <laughs> but since it's not, it's I'm maybe it's not on YouTube. Right. That's the crazy thing. Like, usually when a company does not care to make it available, they don't care that you're making it available, you know? <laughs> but no, even in this case, it's just not anywhere. It seems like nobody really cares about it. And I mean, I guess like it's, it's a little bit forgettable. Mm-hmm. 
it's not a bad movie. It's just kind of eh. Meh. Yeah. You can take our advice or leave it. When we get back, we will talk about 1997's Campfire Tales. When the moon's full, they come out to hunt. The wrong night. What the hell is that? The wrong road. A son of a bitch siphoned our tank. One wrong turn. Guys, maybe we should go back up to the road. That way if a car comes, then they can call for help. Oh, yeah, right before they kill us. And four teenagers are about to learn that when you tell too many scary stories, you just might end up in one. of Scream. And I know what you did last summer comes a red-hot horror tale that you'll be dying for. Getting a little scared over there. Featuring Christine Taylor and Jacinda Barrett. Not bad, huh? Campfire Tales. Now, terror spreads by word of mouth. All right, Kelsey, get us started. How does Campfire Tales begin? With a story that really doesn't have much to do with anything. Like, they kind of bring it up a couple times, but it's not one that they tell at the campfire. Yeah. And, like, they mention that, like, there were murders out around there, so maybe that's the murders that they're talking about. I don't know. But it starts with James Marsden and Amy Smart uh, back in the 50s. Yeah, it's called The Hook, by the way, is the name of this segment. Right, it's all of your favorite ULs, guys. Damn it. Damn it. I had written down here, ask Kelsey, what was your favorite UL? (laughs) Uh, Just my favorite UL. Yeah, this is the one about the hook. But I don't think, I actually don't think they get killed, right? They just. No, it's just a creepy thing when you find the hook is still attached to the handle. The hook is stuck to the handle because she's the one that was like, we need to leave. Uh Uh-huh. And James Marsden's like, I thought you liked me, but there's a killer on the loose. Two of the biggest stars in this movie or who would become the biggest stars. Amy Smart's kind of disappeared over time. but Yes, but but who James Marsden. Yeah. Yeah, like just gone for the rest of the movie and it kind Until of the very end it well it bookends they don't appear i think james marsden does no you're thinking of ron livingston no i know that i don't know we'll get there no the the hook guy shows up at the end that there's a, there's, there's a bookend at the it, it's a weird thing that it doesn't rhymes. make any sense it rhymes yes oh yes it rhymes it's <laughs> like poetry <laughs> again it's like poetry so if they rhyme Mm-hmm. Every stanza kind of rhymes with the last one. It it just it doesn't make a lot of sense. The like what this has to do with anything, but okay. So I mean, it's just that story. They're it's making out. Your favorite UL. She sees something. She panics. She makes him drive away. He's freaking out, and he drives away really fast. And when he goes to grab a burger and comes to ask her what she wants, the hook is hanging from her car door. That's the end of the story. Yes. It's the hook. You know it. Yes. So what comes next? 
So then we meet the actual teenagers. This is the wraparound story called The Campfire. I wrote, oh, hey, it's the chick from Zoolander. It's Marsha Brady. Yeah, that is Christine Taylor. She married, what's his name, right? Ben Stiller, yeah. Mm -hmm. And also, hey, it's the brother from Malcolm in the Middle. Yes, that's Christopher Masterson. Brother to the dickhead from that 70s show. That's why they look so alike. Okay. Yeah, Danny Masterson. I wondered about that. Mm-hmm. Also, we don't know the other two, right? So, J.R. Ferguson. Okay, this is the weird thing. I, I, I say his name, J.R. Ferguson. It's not J.R. Junior? No, it's J, J-A-Y, and R is his middle initial. J.R. Ferguson, which is a little bit weird, but okay. He plays Cliff, who's kind of the... I mean, I guess you could say he's the main character. He's not the main sympathetic character, but he's kind of like the driving force of all of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was in, he was in Mad Men. That's what we know him from. Oh, who was he in Mad Men? Stan Rizzo. He was in several episodes of that. Mm. Yeah, he was in a lot of episodes of that one. He was one of the names that they credited in the opening sequence. Like that's how big a character he was. He wasn't in the whole series. Okay, but. Yeah, he he would often get credit for episodes he wasn't in because he was in the opening titles. Hmm. He was a big character, in, especially in the beginning. We watched practically all of Mad Men. Yeah, we never finished we it, We just though. didn't finish it, yeah, the last season. Which is weird. It was one of those shows that we really, really liked, and then it just became less intriguing for us. Yeah, well, he became less and less likable. Yeah. I mean, he was never really a likable guy, but there were things about him that you you enjoyed. And they stripped him of all those things after a while. Yeah. And then there's Alex, played by Kim Murphy. She's not really been in much. She hasn't acted in over 10 years. There you go. But so, the one that you were just talking about, the madman guy. J.R. Yeah, J.R. <laughs> no, no, his character's name is Cliff. Cliff. Oh, get it? Because he drives off a cliff. Yeah. And we're supposed to believe that they got out unscathed. Yes. <laughs> we don't see... Like, what happens? But he's driving recklessly, and he's the boyfriend of the chick from Zoolander, Marsha Brady. And... Christine Taylor, (laughs) and her character's name is Lauren. Lauren. And I guess, what I'm guessing is that the other chick is her best friend that she's trying to set up with her brother. The guy Yeah, something like that. But that doesn't really go anywhere either. No, it's it's so unimportant, but just trying to explain why. I don't know where they're going. They're going somewhere, and uh-huh. he ends up crashing the car. We don't see what happens. All we know is they all survived completely fine. Yeah. And they're all very upset that the people didn't even stop to make sure that they were okay. But as Alex points out, they probably thought we were crazy with the way you were fucking driving. Yeah, uh-huh. It's totally your fault that this happened. But so, yeah, so they sit down waiting for somebody to rescue them. And they start a fire. Where are they? What is this building that they're in? They're not in a building. They are. They're in like this. They're in it, the woods. It's like a mausoleum, but there's it's all broken down. And there are stone walls and a doorway, but there's like no roof. They're in some broken down structure hmm. for most of this movie. That's where they. That's where they build their fire. Well. Here's the thing. It's very unimportant. It feels like they were definitely going for like a Tales from the Crypt vibe. Sure. Right? So maybe that's why they did it that way. But for me, it's so funny because it's just like by the end, 
you realize that Stay stole this story. <laughs> that terrible movie Stay, which always makes me upset because it reminds me of the time that somebody thought they were better, they knew more movies than me because they said a movie named Stay. How are you supposed to remember that name? <laughs> I don't remember anything about Stay. You don't remember how it ends? Let me let me look it up real quick. I I I can remember the cover of the movie, and that's like about it. Ewan McGregor and Naomi Watts. A psychiatrist attempts to prevent one of his patients from committing suicide while trying to maintain his own grip on reality. What did she already kill him and commit suicide or something? What's the? He's laying there dying, and all the people he sees create the story right, we hear. Right? Yeah. Uh huh. And there's a bunch of other movies that operate that way. Are there? Yeah. Like what? I can't think of any like off the top of my head, but I've seen tons of movies that are working like that. There's some that are more overt, like your, you know, usual or suspects. Jacob's Ladder, I guess. Yeah, Jacob's Ladder is a good example. Where, sorry, spoilers for Jacob's Ladder. He's dying for the entire movie, and it's a hallucination he's having. Well, so, that's what this is. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it is. It kind of is. It's it, although there's an element here that's like it is are they spirits? Is that their spirit that they're all and they just don't know that they're dead? Yes. Or is he just hallucinating all of it? Like which is it? Does it matter? Yeah, it does doesn't. It really doesn't. I don't think the movie cares. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think the movie cares. So what's the uh first story that they tell here? It's called The Honeymoon. About Rick and Valerie. Rick, played by Ron Livingston, who we all know from Office Space. Yes, among other things, but yes, he's the Office Space guy. I mean, come on. Exactly. And he's very interested in Clayton's caverns in the middle of the night. Yeah. It's stupid. Uh Uh-huh. But so he wants to go and check out these caverns, and she's like, let's have sex instead. Could you imagine if I took us on an RV trip for our honeymoon? I like, wouldn't mind going on uh, a, a yes. trip across the state. That's not what I asked. <laughs> I, I could totally imagine us going on an RV trip together. I would yes, enjoy that. Absolutely. But for our honeymoon? No. 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 We could do that anytime. Yes. Yeah, anyway. I could do that. <laughs> yeah, totally. Absolutely. But after they have sex, or in the middle, I don't know, they're interrupted by the bus driver from Speed. Yes, that's exactly what I wrote down. (laughs) I wrote down the driver from Speed. Yes. It's Hawthorne James is his name, yeah. He is out there with a gun, and they're like, what the fuck are you doing? And he's just like, there's shit out at night that hunt people. Ever since my wife disappeared, I've been hunting them or whatever. Yes, and that's why that group of people died that he said... It's only second to the Donner Party. So, yeah, uh-huh. like there's there's these creatures that hunt at night and uh, they sound like crows because he calls out like there's a crow sound and then Hawthorne James, he freaks out and Ron Livingston's like, what? It's just a crow. And the dude's like, crows don't squawk at squawk night unless at night. they're disturbed. Yeah. Uh-huh. And so that, I just thought they were disturbed. Right. But th- there's also this weird implication that these are like weird sort of bird beast monster things. Like, I don't. They're going to be monsters and it's totally unclear what they are or why they are. I mean, this is not a real story. Yeah, it's a short story. Right. No, I mean, it, well, like, what I'm saying is, A, it's just a UL. Yeah. Uh-huh. And B, it's not a UL that's even actually being told by anyone. 
it's also a little. So I feel like this movie is just like fucking it. Yeah. <laughs> but it's also a little mixed up because they're trying to do the whole like she hears a scraping noise on the top of her car and it turns out that was her boyfriend being it's hung his from the tree. Ring it, scraping along. Yeah, the top no, of it's the, a the roof but of the car. This is a different sort of thing. Or he's already dead by that point. Yeah, he's dead by the end. The point of the urban legend is that had she actually gotten out and checked, she could have saved her boyfriend. Oh, because he's supposed to be being hung. Yes, exactly. No, this is a dead body of Ron Livingston hanging from his feet and his hands are dragging across. Like, he's already dead. So they completely missed the point of that urban legend. Hey, maybe there's more than one version. But the good version is the irony one. The one that has some sort of poetic You heard it here first, guys. (laughs) First has the better version of the... (laughs) Yes. That's the version that's in Urban Legends. (laughs) Did this come out before or after Urban Legend? This was released uh, February 28th, 1997. And Urban Legend was September 25th, 98. So this actually came out a year beforehand. Oh, shit. Yeah, a year and a half almost. About, yeah. So they watched this and learned from it. There you go. I don't know if anybody watched this. It's probably true. But so he explains, the bus driver from Speed explains, you got to get back in your RV and you got to drive. You know how to get to the highway? Get back to the highway. And you don't get out of your car. I don't care if they find a way to stop you. Do not get out of your car. At night. But of course, Ron Livingston ignores all that information. Yeah, he runs out of gas and he blames... Hawthorne James. He siphoned Yeah, because uh-huh. they don't know what he was doing before they found out he was outside. So he, Ron Livingston thinks that he is a peeping Tom. Yeah, uh-huh. And that ultimately siphoned their gas and that he's fucking with them. But Valerie does a great job of defending herself. Yeah, so what's going to happen is Ron Livingston is going to go to get gas in the middle of the night. Dude, you're in an RV. Just camp there for the night. Yeah, it's so stupid. It's so it's, stupid. It's just that he has to prove... That he's not afraid. Like, even if you... That's what it is. Even if you haven't heard that people are dying and a dude with a shotgun telling you, do not get out of your RV, even if that wasn't the case, if you're in an RV that breaks down in the middle of the night, guess we're camping here. And if the cops come by, you can tell them, it broke down and it was in the middle of the night, I didn't know how to get... It's 1997. You don't have GPS on your phone. Like, you didn't know how to get to the gas station and you weren't going to go out there in the middle of the night. It's totally reasonable. Like, I don't, it doesn't make any sense why he would leave. He does. He finds Hawthorne James's dead body or a pile of blood and then, a, like, his skull, the lower jawbone or something like that yeah. or whatever. Yeah. And he finds the shotgun and he freaks out. He gets attacked by one of these monsters and gets, like, his throat or his stomach slashed or something, but ends up trying to run back to Valerie anyway. Meanwhile, she gets attacked. And you said she defends herself really well here? Yeah. First, she sprays it in the face with mace, which is yeah, awesome. Uh-huh. And then she grabs the fire extinguisher and ends up knocking it the fuck out with a fire extinguisher. <laughs> we were both like, oh, she better grab that fire extinguisher. And then she does. It was awesome. Yeah. And she's great. And then, yeah. And then the cop shows up and just she ends up passing don't out look behind. You. Yeah, exactly. Don't look up. And, and she does. And she sees Ron Livingston strung up above the RV. Mm-hmm. Ah! <laughs> At least you're not going to be accused of it. Usually the twist is that, you know, 
the cops show up and now you're accused of all this, these awful things. The next story is also really weird and creepy, but I have heard a version of it. Not yeah. this particular version, but it's a gross, weird one. So first we have, a, we're back to the wraparound story. It's the campfire. And I wrote down bloody nose. Do you know what happens here with a bloody nose? Does somebody get hit? Oh, no. Somebody tells the story about the bloody nose. It's um, Christine Taylor and oh, yeah. Masterson, she Christopher tells, Masterson. That's why I wrote down. That was a weird story to tell. It was a very weird story to tell. <laughs> I didn't remember what my note was about. Yeah. It's, it's something like somebody's nose just starts gushing blood and then somebody tells, else passes out. Yeah, and she then, tells a story about her and her brother and how when she was little... He was bleeding. She was bleeding. Yeah. And like the mom fainted on the phone. Oh, yeah. And he and tells he his tells mom. the police, my mom, my mom no, her, is dead and my grandma, sister's dying. I think. Yeah. Uh-huh. Something like that. And yeah. Like, my mom's dead and my sister's funny. bleeding to death or whatever. Yeah. And it's supposed to be this funny story. And it's so bizarre. It's very bizarre. <laughs> What's so funny? <laughs> I just remembered something. <laughs> what? Do you remember when Dad went to Las Vegas and I had that really bad nosebleed? No. You were like, I don't know, five or six. It was really late. You were sleeping. And I was laying in Mom's bed, and she just didn't know what to do. You know, she tried everything, and nothing worked, so she called Grandma. And I guess we must have woken you up because you were standing in the doorway when the blood just started pouring out of my nose. (laughs) (laughs) This is funny to you? Wait, 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 wait. So when Mom saw it, she dropped the phone, and just fell backwards. She fainted. And then you went over to the phone and you said, Grandma, Mom's dead and Lauren's bleeding to death in bed. And then you just hung up the phone. So then we get into... People can lick too. Which I guess was leading into another weird story. Yeah. uh I guess, maybe. So I wrote down here, Petunia's stupid. I'm not surprised you have no idea what I'm talking about. The little girl here is played by Alex McKenna, who I know, like, I would recognize her in an instant as Petunia Stupid from the movie The Stupids. Do you not remember The Stupids? I've never seen it. I thought she was like, I had a big crush on her in that movie when I was about that age. This is the same chick. I was like, wow, I've like never seen her before or since. Oh, yes. And Crossing Jordan she was in, which I also knew her from. But we recently know her from Red Dead Redemption 2. She plays the voice of Sadie Adler in that game. So you have a crush on Sadie Adler? I guess. Yeah. Uh huh. There you go. But yeah, it's a really weird story about a little girl who has a friend online, ends up being an old gross man who ends up killing her dog and hiding under her bed and licking her hand. 
She thinks it's the dog. She, yeah, they've already told you earlier that when she puts her hand down, her dog licks her hand. And this man had the foresight to write in lipstick on her mirror, people can lick too. So that she would get scared at the exact right moment. Uh-huh. Right when she's getting her hand licked. Yeah, and, and we see him licking her hand. It is very creepy, yes. Yeah, like, seeing it is very strange. There's just a lot of extra stuff going on in this story, which is totally unnecessary. So much extra shit going on in this story, and that is what happens. And, yes. like, the guy runs away. Yeah, and that's like, the end of the story. Yeah. Your but, dog died, which fucking sucks, and this weirdo licked your hand and was hiding under your bed, but then nothing else happens. Because her sister came home. Yeah. Thank God. But, like, it wasn't a tense moment. She was already home when the this mother, happened. Yes, the sister was already there for a jump scare prior to that. Yeah. But, I don't know. Alex McKenna's cool. <laughs> I have no idea what she's doing now, other than voice acting, I guess. We did get a rocking carousel horse in this segment. Yeah. A really lot, of, lot of rocking horses. Rocking horses, man. <laughs> Horror movies, love them. Yep. All right, then we go back to the campfire. Where the guys scare the girls while they're peeing. And I, then they never pee. I don't think it's They immediately funny. go back to the campfire. I don't think it's funny, and I would no. not be okay with no. it. I would no, be so mad. And it's not even just that, like, dude, what the fuck? I'm peeing. Yeah. But, like, you scared me, so then it got all over me. Yeah, I am not a guy. Uh -huh. I am a girl. And I don't think I that shit pee is funny. Different. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, it's it's also weird that, like, the two guys do that to both of them. It's like, dude, that's your sister. Yeah. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> so there's that one. And we get the last story told by the, the friend the friend the not girl. not the guy the guy has told all the stories until she's like i've got a story to tell which you think is gonna matter it doesn't it really doesn't so this is alex christine taylor's friend in the story she tells a story called the locket which is probably the most interesting but it was telegraphed from a mile away. You knew exactly what was going on the entire time. It was interesting, yeah. They So it's a chick who is living in this farmhouse and this guy's motorcycle breaks down. He goes into her, motor, into her house and they end up kind of hooking up and the dad comes home and murders her. But we don't get told the story in that way. We get told that story from the perspective of the guy on the motorcycle who doesn't understand what's going on. Yes, he shows and up. It's, it's very cool. She's I'll wearing say. a choker with a locket. That part's stupid. Like you knew as soon as. Oh yeah, her head's coming off. Yeah, as soon as she didn't yeah. want him to touch the locket, it was like uh, okay. Also, her head's she gonna come off as soon as you take that off. She couldn't talk, so she would write with chalk on a chalkboard. The entire movie, and the, but then she's like, yeah, no, this I live in a haunted house. First she says, my dad, who's a cowboy, is off tending the herd or whatever. But yes, she's like, this is haunted, and there's, weird shit's going to happen in the middle of the night, and it does. And he sees the dad kill her. Or hears it, but, but yeah. yeah. But, but then he runs into her, and she's still alive. But it keeps happening over and over again throughout the night until he's forced to run away with her. And then they're like sitting in a park underneath a tree. They're under a tree. They think they've gotten away. Yeah, and then she falls asleep, and he takes off the locket, and this is the part that doesn't make any sense. He takes off the choker, opens up the locket, and sees a picture of her, old-timey, like, you know, like 1800s or something like that, and a picture of himself, 
also old timey, like they were lovers in the past or whatever. So why he's motorcycle man now never explained, doesn't make any sense. And then she wakes up and she can talk again, but she's like, what's happening? Oh my God, what's happening? And then her neck opens up and then her head falls off and he screams, no, what's happening to me? I just figured he just doesn't, un- he has to relive it over and over again. But then why but would she ever reason- have the picture if she if she always just met him as this dude whose motorcycle broke down? That's a good point. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a disconnect there in the story that's like, oh, isn't this, isn't this weird? Isn't this spooky? Like, she's been dead for 40 years. Like, I just, I like when ghosts have to figure out that they are ghosts. I think that that is always an interesting story. Yes. No, I agree. I mean, we talked about it with the others. I wrote down, at some point, these segments are all way too long. How many are there going to be? Because <laughs> there can't be many, and there weren't. This was the last one. This was the last one. Mm-hmm. So then we get the camp. We're back to the campfire segment. And surprise, they're all dead. The twist. What a twist. He, they just disappear on him, and he's like, where'd you guys go? And then looking for him, he well, sees the cops. because the they, cops. Yeah, they, they set up flares so the cops could come. And and find them, and he sees the cops, he's like, oh, good, guys! And he turns around, and they're not there. And then when he shows up, there are ambulances and everything, and there are three bodies covered in sheets, and then there's him. And they're talking about how there was alcohol, and he was drunk, and then he stops responding, and then he dies too, and then end of movie. Well, we see that a lot of the people in the stories are... Oh, yeah. Ron Livingston, are the, are they're the other people that were on the road that caused them to swerve i wrote that you see the couple Uh uh-huh the ron livingston and him i mean and her you see the ghosts so the chick with the locket Uh, i say i don't remember that but okay and then you see the end with the guy with the hook yeah so So a car pulls up stories oh but the chick with the the dot the people can look two story wasn't there or maybe yeah. one of them was I kept looking for a little girl or a dog yeah maybe it was the parents but then we get this shot sister. it's kind of far away the road's blocked off and their cars are starting to back up this car pulls up and then his hand comes out and he's got a hook on it and then it changes to black and white like what the fuck are you communicating there what the fuck are you trying to say all possibilities I can think of that he's are real? stupid. That he's real. Or that all of this actually takes place in the 50s? Like, we're in we're, we're in that same timeline from the 50s? Like, no, we're, we're very obviously not. Yeah. So, what are you trying to communicate here? I do not know. It's just kind of a, it, it's a, it's a it's throw a whatever out the wall and say, yeah, exactly. This is why I'm saying it's something you watch uh, in a sunny afternoon, you know, on TV with or commercials. You Teenager, yeah, like with a bunch of your friends throwing popcorn at the screen, right? It's not something that's scary whatsoever, it's something that's really cheap creep. Like, it does feel a lot like the type of thing you might get on those sort of EC Comics Tales from the Crypt kind of stories, yeah. Uh huh, you know, where it's just like, ah, what a twist, and that's like all that it is. These stories, they're just a vehicle for a twist. Stephen King did. Creep show. Creep show. But I thought because they were all dead and because they were in kind of that setting, it reminded me a lot 
of Tales from the Crypt, the original one from the 70s. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a good enough point. Yeah. So, Kelsey, what was your favorite UL? I would say the most interesting one was the ghosts, although the Ron Livingston one was well done, mm-hmm. I thought. And the one with the little girl was really gross and creepy. It was weird, yeah. Uh-huh. It was very creepy. I thought like, there's a lot so, to really like about yeah. this, but there's they're just not very substantial. Right. I think it's just a fine, it's a whatever movie. It's mm. a, I'm not, I'm not mad I saw it. No, yeah. It's an interesting thing to talk about, but there's not a lot going on. Mm-hmm. So what do you think it has on Rotten Tomatoes? Well, I can't imagine that a lot of people have seen it. Well, let me just cut you off there. There are only two reviews on Rotten Tomatoes, okay. so there is no Rotten Tomatoes score. We'll go by the audience score in just a second. But both of those reviews are negative. Only one of them had a pull quote, and that quote was the opposite of scary. Those are the only two professional reviews on Rotten Tomatoes. It does, however, have an audience score. What do you think the audience score is? 50? 31%. Okay. No Metacritic, no cinema score, obvi. Do you think 31% from an audience, which is usually a lot more forgiving, mm-hmm. do you think that's overrated or underrated? I'd say that's underrated. I would agree. 31% seems really low. Yeah, for this, yeah. I give it a 60. I See, I would have gone 55. I understand that. I just think that, you know, like I said, three of the stories had something like I could take away from it. Like I thought the Ron Livingston one was well made. Mm-hmm. I thought the one about the girl was creepy. And I thought the one with the ghost was at least interesting. Interesting. Yeah, so uh-huh. like it, they all had something. Yeah. And none of them made me upset. None of them were like, oh, my God. And this one, you yeah, know, exactly. They were all, they all felt a little long. And I'm like, how are we going to fit all these? And oh, because there's only three. Like <laughs> that, that that was really my only concern when I was watching. And the them. first one had James Marsden, and Amy Smart. Oh, yeah. If you want to count that as one of them, there's four. Yeah. The hook, which is this weird sort of bookend story that nobody anything. tells. So like, where the fuck? What does this have to do with the? It's just, there's not a lot of thought that went into this. I no. think is the thing. It's it seems like the sort of thing you would put out in a Tales from the Crypt, which is like a weekly show. You know what I mean? Something that doesn't require movie levels of effort. So it's weird that it's a it's a movie. I don't know. It's on the positive side of fifty for me, but not by much. Anyway, that is 1997's Campfire Tales. Moving on to our next movie. Recommended by Diane. Thank you, Diane. 2019's Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. We mentioned last week that Kelsey and I first watched this movie on a laptop in Fiji for our honeymoon. <laughs> <laughs> this one is directed by Andre Uvredal, with a screenplay by Dan Hageman and Kevin Hageman, with a screen story, which is a very interesting way to phrase it, and I think I know why they do it this way. A screen story by Guillermo del Toro, Patrick Melton, and Marcus Dunstan. Did Guillermo del Toro produce he it? He produced this one, okay. yeah, uh-huh, very famously. Uh, and then it's based on the book series by Alvin Schwartz. But I don't know if he's credited in the movie. He's not credited on IMDb. The book series with illustrations by Stephen Gamble. So it's really, really weird to me that he's not credited. I wonder if it's a sort of like Alan Moore situation where he's like, I don't I didn't have anything to do with this. I don't want my name on it. Or if they just didn't bother to ask him because he didn't have any rights to it or something. I don't know. But 
as somebody who grew up on these books, and maybe Kelsey disagrees with me a little bit on this, I think it it's just a the books, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, more scary stories, and there's a Scary Stories 3. 90% of the appeal of these books, the reason they stood out over any other book that might have had scary stories, is because of those illustrations. And those are the things that stand out, and those are the things that people remember. And yes, you remember the stories, you absolutely do, but just like you would in any other book, it's the it's the illustrations that bring them to the top of that list, I think, personally. That's why I think it has a screen story credit for those three story writers, because the stories that are told within this movie are all from scary stories to tell in the dark, the books. Yeah. So they don't get credit all... for that. There are there are a few that are very iconic stories, but that yeah, that's the thing. I think that's why they get screen story credit is because Alvin Schwartz didn't write that overarching story or how they're put together or any of that stuff. But he did write the original stories that these are based on. So to be clear, they wrote they came up with the screen story. Anyway, the movie stars Zoe Margaret Coletti, Michael Garza, Gabriel Rush, Austin Zager, Dean Norris, and Gil Bellows. It's a bunch of actors that look like other actors. Or that you've seen before. No, you haven't seen you've them before. You've seen Dean Norris before. Which one's that? He's from Breaking Bad. He's her dad. Oh, Minerals. Yeah. I wasn't thinking about him. I meant the main teens. <laughs> yes. And uh, yeah, you're right. The main, main characters are. They all very look specific. like somebody else that's mm -hmm. famous, and you're like, that's not that person. Gil Bellows, the sheriff, he's from. I recognized him. God, what the hell is her name? Allie McBeal. He's from Allie McBeal. So, yeah, like, they, them I know. But, yes, it, it seems like these are a bunch of people that, like, well, we couldn't get the actual person we were trying to get, so we got a stand-in version yes. of this actor. So, yeah. What is Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark about? A group of teenagers in the 60s find a book that belonged to a woman who wrote scary stories, and the scary stories become true. And the movie's about how they deal with it, I guess. I don't know. It's hard to explain without yeah. just telling you the plot. Totally, yeah. The movie is available with subscriptions to Fubo or Showtime. Uh, you can't rent it anywhere, apparently, but you can buy it for as low as $7 on Vudu and Microsoft and more on all the other services. Should people watch Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark? Yes. Yeah. It's not a stellar movie. It's not going to change fun your for life. for the whole family, people. Yes. If we're talking about a movie that would be creepy for everyone. Yes. I think this is that. I think there are, there are definite moments in this that get your heart pounding. Uh-huh. And if I was a kid, this movie would have scared the shit out of me. And I love, if we're talking about those illustrations, I absolutely love how they translated some very iconic images to the screen practically mm -hmm. there are a lot of moments that you might expect to be cg that aren't and that's really impressive you know it's a very guillermo del toro thing so yeah they plastered his name all over oh yeah movie. they did <laughs> but he did not direct it. he did not direct it no so you can take our advice or leave it when we get back we will talk about 2019's scary stories to tell in the dark this town made me a monster now, that's what I'll give them. Sarah Bellows' book, when the stories all come alive. What happens in the book happens for real. Sarah Bellows 
is a myth. I'm afraid I'm gonna die. Dad. You don't read the book. The book reads you. Scary stories to tell in the dark. Rated PG-13. All right, Kelsey, get us started. How does scary stories to tell in the dark begin? Well, in the beginning, there's a lot of different things happening because they're trying to introduce all these different characters and set up all of their stories. Yeah. So maybe it'd be better instead of saying like how each thing happened, we just kind of talk about the different characters and what their stories are. Okay. So we start with our main girl. Stella. Played by? Zoe Margaret Coletti. Who I think is trying to look a lot like Elliot Page. Yeah. Pre-transition. Uh-huh. Do you agree? I agree. She's got that whole look going for her. That- I mean, it's not her fault that she looks like her, but I think that she's accentuating it with the glasses and the hair. Yeah, uh-huh. But she says, stories hurt, stories heal, stories have power. The more you tell them, the more real they become. Stories heal. Stories hurt. If we repeat them often enough, they become real. They make us who we are. They have such power. This I learned on the very last autumn of her childhood. That's going to be one of three times that phrase is uttered. Yes, and that's exactly what this movie is sitting on. The idea that if you write down a story and you believe in it enough, it will happen, pretty much. Yeah, but it also, I think, undermines itself in that regard. Because, I mean, skipping to the end here, she's going to write a story to tell the truth. To let people know what really happened. That the UL is not the real thing. That this is the real story and it's filled with tragedy and this girl that we all villainize actually had a lot of really awful shit done to her by the people who should have protected her the most. Great. Except everyone just assumes she wrote a compelling scary story and they don't take it seriously. Like she wins an award for it, but like they all just thought it was more fiction. So like, oh really? What... That's what that's how you interpreted the ending? Yeah, like I know the ending's supposed to be like it ends on a very hopeful note. We'll say where like, oh, you know, there are bad things happen that happen that we didn't want to happen that might be getting corrected in a hypothetical sequel. But the whole like, I will tell your story, which made me think of Hamilton. Who lives, who dies, who tells your story? President Jefferson. That song, like, it's it's that sort of, like, you know, history is told by the people who survive. And so mm-hmm. oftentimes people survive by being absolutely terrible to the people who don't survive. Mm-hmm. But they get to be the ones who tell the story, so they're the heroes, you know? Mm-hmm. And so she's trying to correct the record, but it's still just treated like a scary story that this creative girl wrote. I guess I just didn't think about it. I guess I just figured, yay, they won. Yeah. Happy ending. Mm -hmm. I didn't think too far into it. But yeah, I guess you're right. They didn't really get into them clearing her Mm -hmm. name and all that. If the point is that words can heal, which is what she's trying to do. She's trying not to, to go to somebody whose words are hurting and do the opposite. Tell that person's real story so they can stop hurting people and instead heal. But it doesn't heal anybody. All it does is make the ghost go away. 
and the ghost didn't get what she was promised. Well, she was promised that she would tell her story, and she did. But nothing came of it. Nobody believed it. She as didn't get any sort of showed, redemption. Maybe in a sequel they could yeah. tie that up. No vindication. The the family her family isn't vilified after that. Like nothing changed. Well, I certainly get the impression that they were intending on making a sequel. Yeah. So I they probably thought we can clear that up in the sequel. Yeah, maybe. The season of the witch is played, which is fun, and it sets the tone for the or the mood because it is the sixties. Nineteen sixty eight. And it is Halloween. And the Vietnam draft is going strong. Yes. But so our main girl is riding around town on her bike, and she goes home to her dad, because her mom left when she was a little girl, mm-hmm. and that's a weight she carries, and it's a thing that people make fun of her for, which I guess if you live in a small town, you don't have much to do, so... Yeah, I mean, I guess it is still the 60s, too. Like, I wouldn't believe, I'm sure it happens, I I can't imagine kids making fun of another kid for having one parent. Like, that's the reason you make fun of them. There are so many now unconventional family structures that, like, what is there to make fun of? But who knows? Maybe. But it's the 60s, though, is my point. So, like, yeah, I could believe that. Yes. In the 60s. Yes. Especially if your mom left. Yeah. Her dad is played by the actor from Breaking Bad. Dean Norris. The brother. Or the uncle. Yeah, the brother-in-law. There's more rocks out here. They're not rocks! They're minerals! <laughs> but he's so unimportant to the story. Uh, he is. It's this weird sort of subplot where her biggest concern is that, like, she wants to be a writer. That's all she wants, and she loves horror. But what's holding her back is she feels like she can't leave her father because her mother already left. And that really hurt her and hurt her dad. And she couldn't do the same thing to him. She couldn't leave him alone. And that's going to be kind of a motivating factor for her. But it only enters like the plot one time where she thinks she's going to disappear. And she wants her dad to know that she didn't leave him. Stella? I'm afraid I'm going to die, Dad. Oh, sweetie, don't say that. Tell me what's wrong. Tell me what I can do. Can't do anything about it. I can't do anything about it. No, no, you, you gotta help me out here, sweetie. Tell me where you are. I will get there right away. I don't care what you're going through. Just tell me, please. I go missing. Missing? You can't find me. Find you where? Stella? I didn't leave you. I would never do that to you. I don't understand what you're talking about. Stella, leave me. Why would you leave me? Is someone there with you? And it's it's an emotional gut punch, I think. It's a little maybe melodramatic. Yeah. No, I agree. I think that it is emotional. I'd forgotten about that. Mm -hmm. But that's the only time it actually has anything to do with the plot or talks about anybody's motivations about anything. You know what I mean? Like, the fact that she wants to be a writer gets her interested in... The storytelling aspect of right, the Right, that's why she's interested in reading all the stories that the girl wrote. Totally, but the not wanting to leave her dad only ever comes up in that one moment as, like, being actually a motivating factor for anything that happens in the plot. Mm-hmm. And she doesn't even end up disappearing, so it doesn't even matter. She is going to get ready to go out for the last time, I guess. Are they supposed to be... Are, 
I don't know. He says this I, could be our I'm last sure. Halloween together. I'm not sure their age. I don't think they're supposed to be seniors. No. I don't know. It's, I would guess that they're like 16. Yeah, I don't know. But he says that this could be our last Halloween together. Yeah, maybe they're just getting to the age Or maybe where they they're don't just freaked out anymore. about Vietnam. Yeah, uh-huh. uh huh. Because her two best friends are guys. One of them is kind of interested in her, but it's really unimportant to the story as well. Augie? It's more that he's just protective of her, yeah. I think, more than anything else. And the other one has an older sister who's Chuck. going to become very important. Yeah. At the same time, we are introduced to this, the town bully. Tommy. Tommy, played by? Austin Abrams. And he is going to go on a date that night with the other girl's best friend, who we just said was would become important to the story. No, the, the girl's best friend's sister. Yeah. The, yeah. Uh-huh. The girl's best friend's sister. She's going to go on a date with this kid. The first thing we see of him is that he's signed up to go to Vietnam. Yeah, uh-huh. Which, yeah, I can understand. A small town boy would want to do that. I totally get that. But I don't know. Especially since it's still the 60s. It's not the 70s, so. Yeah, but it's about fulfilling some sort of masculine prophecy. And you want to go out and fight. And it's like this really, like... Just the worst things about masculinity is what's being represented in Tommy. Well, yeah, and what we're going to find out is he's very excited to go and pick on kids and scare kids for Halloween. Uh-huh. You know? And apparently he does that every year, and they steal their candy. They basically jump them and steal their candy. Yes. And because of that, uh, that is what our main girl and her friends are getting prepared for. Mm-hmm. They are going to pretend to have a huge bag of candy when, in fact, they have supplies to egg the car and they have shit, ew, that he picks out of the toilet. It's so uh-huh. gross. Isn't that supposed to be done with dog shit? Yeah. <laughs> Not with your own. It's a lot easier to get into a bag, too. But yeah, yeah. They, what they end up doing is, yes, Tommy comes by and yes, uh, Ruth Chuck's sister is in the car with them, and yes, they steal the candy, and so they had put shit in the bag with all the candy, and they're like, oh, what the fuck? And when they come turning around and driving back, they chuck a flaming bag of shit mm-hmm. into their car, mm-hmm. causing him to crash through a fence. Yes. We have forgotten to mention that he hates his family scarecrow. We do Herald. see that at the very beginning. Yeah, he, he and, and his, his friends, friends are just, are... like, beating the shit out of a scarecrow mm-hmm. called Harold. Yes. We also meet our main guy. Oh, yes, Ramon, played Ramon. by Michael Garza. Okay. His story, guys, we're going to find out that he is uh, a draft... Dodger. Dodger. hmm But how does the cop know that? Well, he gives him his name. So... So he looks him up, and he knows there's probably a warrant out for his arrest. Mm, computers back then? How the fuck is he gonna know? I guess, I mean, I guess that's a good point. But they keep <laughs> records, like, when there's a warrant out for somebody's arrest, they're in, you know, I'm sure there's a way for cops to look that up at a local level, even in the 60s. Probably. <laughs> because that would be a federal warrant at that point. That's a point. But yeah, we don't necessarily know that he's a draft dodger. All we know is that he's claiming to be a migrant farm worker. But then he follows later, the crops. it will be confirmed that he is a draft dodger. Uh-huh. And at the end, 
after he survives everything, he's going to go off to Nam. Uh-huh. And I think the audience is supposed to be like, yeah, he did the right thing. And I'm like, yeah, no. It, uh... Do you not understand, like, how America feels about Nam or how most of America feels about Nam? Or how we feel about the draft and yeah. conscientious objection and, like, yeah. It's very uh... odd. It was an odd decision. I don't know, but it's just, it's it was a weird way to end his story. Like, I'm going to go off to Vietnam because that's the right thing to do. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. We also meet Augie, who is dressed as a Perot, which is going to be a running gag throughout About the how movie. nobody knows what a Perot is except for Ruth, Chuck's older sister. Well, I think that's supposed to be playing into the idea that he's interested in Ruth. Yeah, uh-huh. So, like, I think they were hoping to build up a relation to uh-huh. there probably in the sequel. We also meet Chuck, whose older sister is Ruth. Mm-hmm. And Chuck is supposed to be dressed up as Spider-Man. But his mom made him an actual spider, spider costume. But it only has two extra arms. <laughs> so if you count his legs, he would have six. Augie gives him shit for that. About how, yeah, even if it is just a spider, it's still not a spider. <laughs> I would say that this is foreshadowing to his sister's story, but they just call it out outright at one point in the movie. When talking about the story with the spider, Chuck is like, I'm the spider. It's like, no, this is a story about your sister. Yes. (laughs) Yes, that's true. So they're running away from Tommy because obviously he's chasing after them and they go into a drive-in movie theater and they end up hiding in Ramon's car. Which at first he's okay with because first it's just... Stella. And then he's not as happy when Augie and Chuck get in the uh-huh. back. He's like, what the fuck are you doing in my car? Yeah. And then Tommy and his friends show up and start harassing him. And Ramon's like, fuck you. I've dealt with assholes like you my entire life. Fuck you. I'm not getting out of this car. <laughs> yes. It, and it's just like, it's ridiculous. Why the fuck would they get out of, their uh-huh. car, out of the car? And it takes somebody else in the theater going, what the fuck are you doing? We're trying to watch a movie here. Get the hell out of here. Yes. And they kick Tommy his friends out. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yes. After they leave and she cries because they make fun of her for not having a mom. To lighten the mood, she asks if he wants to go to a haunted house. Yes. And this is going to be the instigating moment of the entire plot. They're going to the Bellows house where Sarah Bellows, the daughter, was kept in a basement room and never let out until ultimately she killed herself. But she used to write scary stories. Yes, and she would tell children scary stories through the walls. Uh Uh-huh. Let's just go ahead and tell this whole story, shall we? Yeah, so Sarah was actually an albino. I mean, just think, it's it's not quite the same thing, but think about Boo Radley and To Kill a Mockingbird. You know, I don't think he actually has albinism in the story, but he is very pale because he never goes outside. Never goes outside. Yeah. So it's the same sort of thing where where she is kept in her basement because she has some sort of sickness and she is traumatized by her family until ultimately the family ends up killing. No, They're responsible for poisoning the water or something. So they have a paper mill. Yeah. Which put their city on the map. Yes. That paper mill started putting mercury out into the water. Yes. That mercury started to kill, apparently specifically children. Uh-huh. Which doesn't make any fucking sense. 
But because she would tell horror stories to children through the walls, uh-huh. a rumor started that she was actually a witch and was putting curses on the kids. Yeah. And the family ran with that. Yeah. Because it made it okay she that they kept their her in there. Goat. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, and then she got mad about that and started to tell people the truth. And so they which committed is when her. They committed her because her older brother is, is the town doctor. The ta- yeah. Uh huh. And so he just tortured her until yeah she until died. until she would agree to say that it was her fault and she refused to do it. She would even tell stories while she was being tortured that ended up like relating to our modern quote modern day plot but yes eventually she ended up dying because her brother killed her as part of this torture or they made it look like she killed herself she killed herself yes. so either in she the did home or they made well it that was like the it. big surprising thing supposedly she had never left her home and she killed herself there but what really happened is they committed her they tortured her she died there and then they staged it to look like she took her own life yes. so they could continue to scapegoat her yes so that's the real story about what's going on. But the context these kids have is this spooky lady who told scary stories and cursed kids and then committed suicide and never left her home. Now, they do some pretty creepy shit with this element of the story. Chuck will at some point be stuck in a closet. And when he looks out the door, the light will be on and the whole room will be like it's the Oh, 1800s. I thought that was he was in a hallway. I didn't think he was in a closet. And he's in a closet cuz he's waiting Hiding to scare from, Augie. Oh, okay, got he's it. Trying yeah. to scare Augie. And when he looks in, there's just this like older woman sitting on a bed and there's a big dog like a Marmaduke style dog, but it's black and then she turns and looks at him and he freaks out and then Augie scares him instead and then he opened up the door and there's nothing there. And these moments were just very cool. Later, there will be yes. a moment with Stella and she gets brought back, brought into that version of the house as well. The ghost house. Yeah. And it's, it's a very cool way to do it. They, they go from this dark, dank, scary house to this lit up, beautiful 1800s mansion. Yeah. Uh-huh. And I like the way they did that. And turning her into Sarah. Sarah Bellows. Turning Stella into Sarah is a very creepy moment. She's yeah, like so she lives their, through what Sarah lived through. What they through. did yeah, to her. Uh-huh. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's spooky. Here's the thing I don't like about it, though, and it's very specific. Okay. Chuck sees into this room. It's a very red room, and there's a woman in there. And then, later on, he'll talk about how he has a recurring dream about a woman in a red room. And then later on, we get the story, which is based on the, the, the story, The Dream, I think it's called. This woman with the long hair in a red room that has absolutely fucking nothing to do with the woman he saw in the red room before. And then we only heard a reference to a woman in the red room, which makes you think it's that same woman. And now he's having bad dreams. And then all of a sudden we get this random shit that has nothing to do with anything. It's very poorly communicated exactly what's going on. With Chuck and his fear of the Red Room. Agreed. Uh, it is the least structured story. Yeah, he's basically saying, I have dreams about a scary thing, so now I'm scared of it. And, like, that's how they wanted to communicate that we should understand that he's terrified. I feel like there was probably a lot of scenes and dialogue that I, were just I, cut. It feels like it. 
that just got cut Feels because... Feels like it's a little shuffled, shuffled around. Yeah, they were trying to make it shorter, and mm. they just said, they don't need to hear this conversation. They'll get it. But I think this was a little bit confusing. You know, if he wasn't the one to see some strange woman in a red room, then it wouldn't be an issue. But as it stands, it is. It's one of those things where they're like, oh, we could just take this out and it wouldn't ruin anything. And you didn't think about, well, now these things are people who are watching this for a first for the first time and don't know the things, you know, are going to read into things differently, you know, because you have a backstory they don't know. But anyway, that's my probably one big complaint about this scene with the woman and the dog is that ultimately I would have preferred that to what we got. I liked what we got. Yeah, but I think it's a confused mess to me now because it is. I, I agree. Like I said, it is the least supported story. It doesn't have uh-huh. a lot of explanation to get. Yeah, at least Augie talks a lot about the things you put in your mouth, the things you put in your body. He's constantly like, you're really going to eat that? Do you know what they put in that? Like, he's always talking about not wanting to put disgusting things in his body. And then that's what ends up happening to him. So at least there's that. Mm-hmm. I don't honestly, I don't think they needed to have, oh, the scary things that happen to you are your particular phobia. Like, I don't think they needed to do that. The The stories themselves are spooky enough as they are. Mm-hmm. Tommy hates that scarecrow and then he gets the scarecrow one. Uh, Ruth is terrified of spiders and they she don't gets the say spider that. one. Well, she, she touches the web and freaks the fuck out. Oh, you're right. That does happen. Yeah. You're right. And then Augie that. is all like, I'm really conscientious about what I put in my body. And then... You know, like, we didn't need them to be very specific things about their particular phobias. I think that was unnecessary, and it added more stuff to the movie that felt under-supported, like you say. So you could have just taken that out and then supported everything else a little bit more, and I think it would have been even better. But so, the, the bullies have somehow followed them here. Not really clear on how they found them. Well, they know what... Ramon's car looks like now. I guess. It's just, and they're driving around town that night anyway. That's what they've been doing. I guess. But so they find them there. They lock them down in that room. Sarah's room in the basement. And this is when Ruth will finally be like, what the fuck are you doing? Let my brother out. Uh-huh. And he ends up pushing her in. Yeah. Just showing you how much of a piece of shit this tummy is. And because... I guess because she takes her book, that's what unleashes the yes. spirit. Uh-huh. Which is also like a why. Yeah. Not super supported. Not super explained or the, clear. The motivation isn't exactly clear. The motivation of the... See, if the motivation is only she just wants to spread pain like through her story. Like, she loves to write. She always loved to tell stories. And now she wants to share the immense pain that she went through and flick that on others because she's so angry. That's enough. That's all we need. It's like we don't. We Yeah, exactly. We don't need a, well, you opened the cursed book. And it's like, what? why does her rage have anything to do with whether or not somebody... She liked to tell stories. Why would she be upset that somebody was reading her stories? Right. It doesn't make any sense on that. But I mean, that's the same thing with the ring. No, the ring is like, she's been twisted so much by the pain she experienced. She wants to inflict that exp- that that pain on other people. It's just misdirected anger, which we still get here. There's still a motivation, even if it is mix- misdirected. This, it seems to contradict what she would want. I don't know. I'm, I'm ragging on this movie a lot. It's just these are the holes that I think they could have patched up to make it even better. 
I think that they, yeah, I think these are all weak spots, but I don't think any of them are real holes. I fair. think they fit. Yeah, fair. I think they work. I, but I do think they're weak spots. Yes. Yeah. But for some reason, she let the, Sarah lets them out. That's another thing. Yeah, because they don't know who let them out. Yeah, if you want to hurt these kids, why not just hurt them? Yeah. Because it's more fun this way? I, who knew Sarah was interested in fun? Yeah, I don't know. But so, they destroyed Ramon's car. Yeah. The bullies did. So Stella ends up offering to let him sleep on the couch in her house. Mm. And she's saying, you know, we'll just get you out of here before my dad wakes up. It'll be fine. Yeah. Because he was working a night shift or something like that. And so he would come home, go straight to bed. And yeah, he'd be out through the day. So he finds out because he goes into a room that she loves horror and she wants to be a writer. And he's like, well, then you got to go to the city. You can't stay here. This is where she expresses that she can't leave her dad. Mm-hmm. And when he goes down to the couch, she opens up the book and finds a new story made with fresh blood because they're all written in blood because she didn't have a pen. Mm-hmm. Well, she had sense. a pen. She didn't have any ink. Yes. Yeah. The fact that there's a magic pen is also kind of stupid. Stupid. Yes. But so this is where she reads the story of Harold. You want to ex- want to tell us what happens to Harold? Yeah. So Harold is a real story from the books. It's from the third book and one of the most recognizable of the scary stories to tell in the dark. In the original story, it was two farmers who hated another farmer and decided to, just for fun, for shits and giggles, let's build a doll human-sized. And you know what? After we've already built it, we can use it to scare away the crows. You know, that was their story. And we'll make it look like this farmer that we fucking hate. And so because they hate this other farmer, they treat the scarecrow really shitty. And then the scarecrow ends up killing them and stretching their their skin out in the sun to leather it or whatever. You know, like, so that's how that story ends. Instead, we get it kind of a little bit transformed to be part of this story where Tommy, who is part of a farming family, he comes home. His mom's upset. Where the fuck have you been? You were supposed to deliver eggs four hours ago or something like that. And she's like, go do that. And he's like, now? Now. Tommy Milner. It's late. Are you drunk again? Halloween. You were supposed to deliver eggs to the Wolvertons. Now? Now. And so now he's pissed off that he has to go deal with these eggs. And he cuts through the cornfield on his way back and sees Harold. On his way there. Yeah. Yeah, but the point is now he has the eggs and he's on his way back from the the chicken coop to go deliver the eggs. Yeah. And he's walking through the cornfield and he says basically, screw you, Harold, or whatever. Eat shit, Harold. Walks away. And then we get a sort of shifting maze moment where it doesn't matter what direction he turns – He always comes across Harold again. And this is going to be very, it's going to be repeated with the Red Room later on. Something very similar happens to Chuck. Where it doesn't matter how he tries to get away from this thing, it's always around every corner. Mm -hmm. Until eventually he gets impaled on a pitchfork by Harold. Yeah, he tries to, he successfully puts the pitchfork through it, but it's a scarecrow, guys. Uh-huh. It doesn't have organs, so yeah. it just takes it right out, and then it pitchforks him. Yes, and then the next thing we see of this scarecrow, it looks exactly the same, except it's wearing Tommy's clothes. No, no, no. We see him transform oh, into you're a right. scarecrow. You're right. And it's a good, but we don't know what happens good... to him after this transformation. All, all of a sudden, he, he's put in the place of the of Harold. Right. But it's a good 
transformation yeah. scene. His skin starts changing. He starts, straw starts coming out of his sleeve. And then he starts coughing and straw starts coming out there too. Yeah, he's vomiting up straw. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's it's good. It's well done. Uh-huh. I don't know if it's CG or not, but it looks good. I'm sure a lot of it is. But yeah, I'm sure there's some practical element, elements there. And I, I think that's a, you know, if I was a kid, that scared the shit out of me. Yes. So I thought that was good. Sure. But now that Tommy has gone missing, the cop thinks that Ramon killed him for for fucking up his car. Yeah. <laughs> well, he, you know, wrote slurs Wet on bag. it and all of that. So he's like, yeah, that sounds like motive to me. So Gil Bellows, who's the sheriff, is like... Instead of before, where he's like, you should just move along and not stay. You basically, you're not, your kind isn't welcome here originally. Now he's like, I don't think you should go anywhere for the next couple of days mm-hmm. while we look for Tommy. Because Tommy just disappeared and nobody noticed that his pants and jacket are on Harold now in the cornfield. <laughs> who does notice? Stella and Ramon, who go to check. Because Stella read the story, knows exactly what she thinks happened to Tommy, finds out that Tommy's missing, and tells Ramon, we have to go check it out. Finds Harold there wearing Tommy's clothes, and we we know that's fucking Tommy. Now, what happened to Harold? We don't know. We do not know. Tommy replaced Harold, and Harold's free. Now, maybe now he's a human walking around somewhere. Doesn't come up. No, no, we never find out. But she returns the book because she thinks that will end this. It doesn't. The book shows right back up at her house. Uh huh. And now Ramon is there with her when she sees the new story being written. Well, he's the one who finds the book, Ramon is. Yeah, he's like, oh, yeah, you still have the book and or whatever. She's like, no, I took that back. Where did you find that? They're right here on your bookshelf. And something, at some point, we, I don't know why. I don't know what's happening. At some point, Chuck gets a door slammed in his face and he's eating a banana. Oh, <laughs> my banana. God oh, damn it, my banana. <laughs> yeah, I think that was his sister. It was funny. It was early on in the story, I think, and his sister No, it's right here. Is it? I didn't put any context. I, oh, damn it, my banana. Yeah. You got enough zip pain on there? It's a spider bite, you butt pimple. Oh, ah, damn it, my banana. <sighs> It was just a great delivery. It was a of very line. good delivery. Yeah, uh-huh. But it's interesting because Chuck's going to be kind of not taking part in this scene. Where they're talking, I think over walkie-talkies. yeah, Stella and Augie are talking over walkie talkies, and Ramon is with Stella. So where the fuck is Chuck and his walkie talkie? I don't know. I wrote down: Shouldn't Chuck be hearing this whole conversation with Augie? So what happens is. Ramon and Stella are watching the story of the big toe. Now, being this written. is the one that I certainly remember. This is the very first story of the very first book. Well, there you go. That's probably yes. why I remember. It's it. called The Big Toe. It's about a boy who finds a toe sticking out of the ground, starts pulling on it, and nothing happens until he yanks it out and it finally comes free. And then he shows it to his mom, and his mom's like, This is good meat for a stew. And they cook it in a stew and they eat it. And then some shambling corpse comes looking for its toe. Where's and my toe? Big toe, yeah. And so then the boy is scared in bed, I think. And then all of a sudden it appears next to him and it says, you have it. And then that's how the story ends. You know, you think, well, that kid's fucked. <laughs> so it's a little bit similar. There is a big toe in the stew. 
Now, here's the thing. As you explained, he's weird about what he eats. Yes. And he's on the phone with his mom. He's like, I'm just going to have this stew. And she's like, what stew? I didn't make a stew. Well, somebody did. So I'm just going to eat it. He's just going to eat it. And then when he gets a comment, hey, you know that weird stew that came out of nowhere and nobody claimed to make? Yeah. You're being told now that there's something wrong with the stew. Don't eat the stew. And you're like, what are you talking about? It's like, yeah. not really believable. Not with the character It's a little created. forced. Exactly. That's why I'm saying if you didn't make it the things that they were so afraid of, mm-hmm. I think it would have been a lot cleaner mm-hmm. if it was just creepy shit happening to people. Yeah. Agreed. So yeah, he eats the toe. And then he gets chased after by this corpse. They run to his place, trying to get there quickly and save him, but they're not in time. There's this moment where he's hiding under the bed, and it's a really creepy moment where you're expecting this corpse's feet to appear next to the bed, and they don't. He pulls himself out, and it's just his head is sticking out from under the bed, and you expect him to be on top of the bed. So Augie turns around and pulls himself out a little bit farther and then pulls himself up, and there's nothing on top of the bed until then he's grabbed by the legs under the bed and yanked under, his nails scratching the hardwood floor, and he's pulled into the nothingness like this is little monsters or something. Yes, exactly, and... I thought this was effective. Yeah, I Um, thought it was pretty cool. I wrote down the effect of Augie getting pulled under the bed is pretty cool. Is it cheap that it's under the bed and there's no way it could have possibly gotten under the bed without him realizing it? Yeah, but there's some sort of weird portal to hell or whatever under there. Yeah, exactly. Portal to story world like that. So, you know, whatever. And weird shit happens in these stories all the time anyway. I love that a kid gets pulled under and then you see that it's in a corner. I love that. That's very creepy. So when they show up and lift the bed out of the way because they see the markings they go into the wall and then disappear mm-hmm. they have no idea where he went they just know that he was taken by the story now javier botet was the big toe corpse javier botet we've talked about many times in the past he's the leper in it he's the crooked man from the conjuring 2 he has several different ghosts in crimson peak he is mama in mama and he's in i think all of the wreck movies you know, he is a very oddly shaped, thin-limbed man who does a lot of creature effects. Good for him. Very similar to Doug Jones, mm-hmm. who works a lot for Guillermo del Toro. And they both worked in Crimson Peak together. Mm-hmm. So that's the the big toe. They make a really stupid line here. I really just wish they'd cut it. You don't read the book, the book reads you. Oh, yeah, that was so lame. It, it sounds so like a, a tagline you would put on the poster or something. Yeah, it's as bad as, <laughs> if you die in the dream, you die for real. Exactly, like, It's these yes. shitty lines that I think they think are clever and they are not. Yeah, it's from a bygone era, I think, from like the 90s. Like, that's a very 90s thing to do. You don't read the book, the book book reads you Jesus yeah come Christ. on i'm afraid of what happens when the book reads me ramon says that he at one says point. that they that's their terminology now yes when it writes a story about you it is reading you because he's reading what you're afraid exactly. of. exactly so what so happens? what is he afraid of well he's he he explains this is a story that we used to tell me and my brothers we used to still tell it to each other and augie also says I know the story about the big toe. My dad used to tell it to me. Yeah. So they both know these stories. But what does that have to do with Ramon's fear of going to war 
and and the fact that you like calling it him calls a him a coward no, because he because ex- Ramon explains the reason we would tell the story was to see who would get scared first who's the bigger coward mm, uh, but that's not what the story is about like Just it's saying I, I mean you know what it's okay all very loose it's all very weak but interesting it all works together we're not at this story yet which is the funny part but interestingly the original story that that Ramon's story is based on is about being brave. But the way that they put it in this, it completely removes that element from it. We'll talk we'll about talk it. We'll talk about it when there. we get there. The next story we're going to talk about is actually the red spot. Yes. This is also one of the most famous stories from the third book. Just FYI, there are no stories for more stories, scary stories to tell in the dark. Um, the second one? The second one. They're only from the first and the third for some reason. Interesting. Yeah. So what happens in this story? So she's in a musical. Ruthie and, is. Yeah. And so she's doing her makeup and all these kids are laughing at her because what she thinks is. Other actresses. Yeah. So everybody thinks it's a zit. She's telling everyone it's a spider bite. Uh-huh. Because she got bit when they were in Sarah's room. Oh, is that? Okay, okay. Because that's when she gets in the spider web and she's like, ah, oh, freaking out or whatever. She's like, I got bit by a fucking spider down there. Why wouldn't she go to a hospital? Like, if I was bit by a spider and it started to get that big, well, I would be scared. At first it just looks like a zit or something that she's trying to cover with makeup and she has a performance right now. And so she's just trying to cover it up and it's not until it starts to grow like before her very eyes and get dramatically worse that she starts freaking out. And yes, she would go to a hospital, but right now it's getting worse immediately. And so she runs to the, to the bathroom nearby and she starts like picking at it and touching it. And it's really sensitive. And then she sees it move a little bit. And then what appears to be a hair comes out of the center of it. She's like, what the fuck? And then she touches it and it moves. Yeah. And meanwhile, again, Chuck, Stella, and Ramon are all together. Trying to burn the book, but it won't burn. Yeah, but it won't burn. It worked and, in Salem. And they're reading the story. This is why he was there when, he's, when he heard the story about the spider. And he's like, I'm the spider. But no, it's actually Ruth. And so they're rushing to save her. But she's alone in this bathroom right now. And then this giant ball on the side of her face bursts open and just endless spiders come out of it, which that was a story that fucking creeped everyone out when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. Like that was an incredibly effective UL. And that's what they were trying to do with those scary stories is they're trying to take things that were vaguely like urban legends, lore that was told in different cultures and communities and turn it into short stories for children. Because there were normally stories that were told to children. Mm -hmm. That's why a lot of the stories are really weird. Like a boy finds a toe in the dirt, gives it to his mom, and his mom's like, let's put it in a stew. (laughs) That's what these stories were like. But yes, this one in particular was really effective. And then there's the drawing of the woman with the spiders on the face. It was from the book. Uh, Well, I'll share the drawings of all of these stories with you guys on Twitter at pod cemetery. But she starts freaking out. The lights go out. They come bursting in and Chuck ends up getting mop water and throwing it on her to get rid of all the spiders. But they also see like a shadow creeping. That's what turned the lights off. And this is the presence of Sarah Bellows. Yes, they've been showing that a couple times. Yes. Not every time. 
But there have been a couple times that, yes, it, she her spirit is shown through a shadow that kind of runs Stella is the like wall. the only one who ever really notices it. Mm-hmm. And she is traumatized, obviously. She's taken away in an ambulance and everyone's freaking out. And then they go and see an old lady, and I don't really get what this has to do with the story. So they start looking up what's actually going on with Sarah Bellows, and they find that there is this... She was like her nanny or some shit? Yeah, there was this uh, servant that they had there. I don't know if she was supposed to be Creole oh, or what. Oh, that chick that we see when she turns into yes. her, and she tries to help her. Yeah, the the this this young black woman tries to help Stella, who is now Sarah Bellows in this moment, tries to help her hide from her family. So we see her as a very yeah. We old see lady. her as a very old lady who's kind of lost her marbles. Her eyes are very cataracty, and yeah. And she ends up. What does she even say to them? She explains there is no magic. There's only rage. Yeah, she's the one who you coins the term that stories can hurt and stories can heal. You shouldn't have taken the book. You made her angry. She didn't die. Oh, the the daughter of this woman tells them. Get the hell out of here. Or the granddaughter. Yeah, you've upset her. I got to calm her down. You got, you're not going to get anything else out of her. She like starts to sing. The daughter or granddaughter or whatever who's taking care of this older woman now. I think it's her that tells them she didn't die at home. She didn't kill herself. She died in the hospital. And they're like, what? No, we always heard that she died at home. She's like, I don't know what to tell you. She died in the hospital. She told the doctors everything she knew at the hospital where that disturbed girl hung herself. But I, I thought everyone always said Sarah hanged herself in the house. You weren't there. Mama was. The hospitals have records. Records of Sarah. Then what are we still doing here? Let's go. Because so that's, that's something what, that this older woman knew. So that's what prompts them to go to the hospital, break in, get the old files from the red room which you think is going to be important it's an acronym <laughs> so i wrote down chuck's fear of the red room is too spontaneous and ill-defined wasn't the red room where he saw the lady and her dog why is he talking about a big lady now when they find out that red is an acronym he says something like who said the room had to actually be red it's the name of the room wait a minute didn't you see this room in your dream how else do you know that it's the red room? Okay, I think you are I think you got confused when he saw the room inside the mansion and that's what you assume he's talking about. No, he talks about a dream so. he has. He's having nightmares about the red room. How are you having nightmares about a room that you know is called the red room and you have no idea why it's called the red room? No, I think that in his dream it is a red room. Yeah. And And so when, when they're like this isn't this I understand, uh -huh. but when he sees that they're going to the Red Room, that's enough to scare him because totally. dreams and reality are not always the same. Totally, but then they're like, well, yeah, but it's not actually Red. And he's like, but it's the name of the room. Right, it, so it scares him. Like opening I, an umbrella is dream language for having sex? Like that's what you're saying? That it's it's a metaphorical representation yes. of the name of the room? Yes, I don't see a problem with that. I think that you're conflating what he saw in the mansion, and I... And for I good that, fucking reason. I understand. I get why you think that, but I, I got the impression he was talking about a yeah. completely different dream, where he is in an actual red room, which I thought was an homage to the haunting of Hill House, because the red room is where all the shit takes place. Oh. That's what I thought that was a yeah, homage to. But if it's in the book... No, it's not. It has nothing to do with that. So the story in the book is called The Dream. Okay. And in the story, this pale lady appears to a young woman, or an older woman, I don't know, 
appears to a woman, basically tells her, get away, get out of here, save yourself, or whatever. It's dangerous. This place is dangerous. She's like, what are you talking about? And later, she's looking to buy a house, and she comes across the room that she saw in her dream, and that this weird woman said, don't do it. Don't go here. This is a bad place. And she ends up fucking buying the house anyway. And then while she's there... The woman appears and is like, I told you to get out of here. And then that's like the end of the story. So there is no like shuffling along and and chasing after you and then hugging you so much that you get swallowed into her. None of that happens. She's just an ill omen. And the thing that scares her at the very end that, yes, this was the room that you had that dream about. And it really is dangerous. Like, that's what the dream is. Mm. And it's nothing like what we get here aside from the incredibly designed pale lady Mm -hmm. who looks exactly like she looks in the story. So it's interesting what they pick and choose to actually apply. Well, it is. I I do remember that image. I remember that image. I remember the um, scarecrow image. Like, I remember both of those. Yeah, and I, I thought that they did a good job with those. I just didn't know the story of the pale-faced lady at all. Yeah. But yeah, so he's too afraid to go to the Red Room, so he stays behind while Ramon and Stella go to the Red Room, and they end up, the, the lights end up going out, which brings up the red lights, the red emergency lights, uh-huh. so then he's in the quote-unquote red room when really But that's his fault, too, because the red lights are on because it's an alarm going off because he was found in a secure area that he shouldn't have been in. That's right. So it's all his fault. (laughs) If he just went into the records room, which is what the red room actually was, Mm -hmm. they could have... Absolutely. Yeah, anyway. But it is. It's a creepy scene running from... Place to place, and, and she's, she's coming from every, every direction, and just slowly getting closer and closer until she grabs him and hugs him so tight that he disappears inside of her. Yes. Which, what does that have to do with anything? Does he have like personal space issues? Does he I have? I don't think everything has an explanation. But they tried to make it so everything had an explanation, but then it's tenuous links at best. So just fucking forget about that stuff. <laughs> Take it out. Anyway. The next story we get, because they get caught at the hospital and then arrested. Well, Ramon gets arrested and Stella refuses to leave him and go home after Gil Bellows is going to let her go. Yes. But before they do, they are able to find information. They find uh, one of the, they find a, a wax cylinder. A wax cylinder and they get to hear her tell the story, which is when she tells the story about the Red Room. But we also get to find out that she was tortured by her brother. Yes, so we get to hear her and her brother. Yes. So we find out the true story of what really happened. But yes, then they get caught and they get arrested. So they're in prison and the sheriff, Gil Bellows, or chief, I guess he's the police chief. He's like, what the fuck are you writing in this book? You're a twisted young girl, aren't you? You know, like, he's like, you're weird and you disgust me. Like, you're gross. But you could go. Like, get out of here. You shouldn't be hanging around with this, you know, undesirable. Because he is a draft dodger, which is when we learn yeah, this. Yeah, uh-huh. And we're like, when? okay. Uh-huh. Didn't and, know that. And he's worried what she'll think of him for dodging the draft. And it's like, dude, don't think she cares. <laughs> I think they're kind of giving the impression that she does, but he explains, well, my brother died there. It's like, oh, so there is a reason that you don't want to go. Yes. But like, also, wasn't the, I don't know what this policy was, 
But there was an entire movie about how, hey, lady, all your kids died. Your last son cannot be at war. That's because four of them died. We didn't give a shit if you lost two. No, but the point is, is she only had one son left. It didn't matter how many people died. That's why they saved Private Ryan. So in this, it's like, well, if your brother is dead and you're the last son, I don't know how that policy worked and how long it lasted for. So obviously saving Private Ryan was World War II. But anyway, they're there alone The chief sends the other cop home for the night and he's like reading the book when he sees that it starts writing on its own again. What is it again? Mitai Doty? Walker. Mitai Doty Walker. Which means absolutely nothing. So what's the story? The real story? So they refer to this as the jangly man. Okay. Which has nothing to do with the... There is no jangly man in the original story. Okay. Mitai Doty Walker is about a man who pays a young boy to stay overnight in a haunted house. Okay. And the boy's like, yeah, I'll do it for $200 or whatever. You know, he agrees to pay this young man $200 if he'll stay the night in this haunted house. And he brings his dog with him. Now, the legend is that at night, a head falls down a chimney and it like talks or something like that. That's the scary ghost story, what happens. And that's why nobody will stay in this house. But anyway, the boy stays there and he puts on a fire in the chimney and everything and just sits there with his dog and hangs out for the night until he starts to hear a voice and it sings Me Tai Doty Walker. Me Tai Doty Walker. And then his dog starts singing back Lynchy Kinchy Kali Molly Dingo Dingo is what it says back, and it freaks this dude out, and he tries to get his dog to stop responding because it keeps on happening as call and response. Me Tai Doty Walker, and then the dog says Lynchy Kinchy Kali Molly Dingo Dingo, like back and forth, and he's trying to get his dog to shut up because whatever it is that's saying that, he doesn't want to be found by this thing. And then all of a sudden, a head falls out of the chimney, misses the fire completely, rolls on the floor right next to the dog and then opens its mouth and then the dog just dies of fright and that's the end of the story there is no jangly man okay but in this one we get the jangly man we which do is, get the head, we get the head down. falling down the chimney which i guess is in this police station yeah well uh, I don't know that it's a chimney. It's just like a window or something. Yeah, well, it, it is in... It, all of this is taking place in Philadelphia, so I'm sure it gets very cold, especially in October. But yeah, what happens here is it's a head, just like in the story. It says, me, Ty Doty Walker or whatever. And then all the rest of the body parts come out. And then he sort of puts himself together. Which is fun. Yes. That's a fun sequence. Yeah. And it snaps Chief Walker's neck... Kills him, and then attacks Ramon, calls him a coward. Me die, dirty walker. Black mine. Black mine. Coward! How did they get away? So, the jangly man threw the body of the cop over by Stella's... Oh, and she gets bars. the keys. And she gets the keys yeah. and lets him out. Because he only wants Ramon. Yeah. Because Ramon explains this is a story that me and my brothers used to tell it to each other. Whoever would get scared first was... The loser. The loser. Yeah. So, yeah. So this thing keeps calling him a coward because he didn't go to Vietnam. Yeah. And he chases him all around. And So this is when they need to 
actually deal with this haunting and save the spirit of Sarah Bellows so she stops harming people. And hopefully they can get their missing friends back. This is a little bit sort of based on The Haunted House, which is just another story of a pale woman who is a ghost in a haunted house. That's like the only thing that's going on here. And it's the only similarity it has to the Cerebello story. But I think that's what they're pulling that imagery from. When we have, when we finally see Sarah and she's this gaunt, pale ghost, mm-hmm. that's, I think, the reference to the haunted house. And that's like it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, how do we get to the point where Stella becomes Sarah in the flashback? So not they don't really tell you. She goes to the house, she's got the book, and then all of a sudden she's at the base of the stairs and it just changes on her. Yeah. But what I really appreciated here was that Ramon goes to the house too, but Ramon is not transported back in time. Yeah. And when he runs by Stella, Stella feels him. And I thought that was cool. Uh-huh. It's very um, Silent Hill. Yeah. But so she's turned into Sarah and it's kind of fun. She loses her glasses and then Ramon finds them. Yeah. That was kind of cool. It was interesting. You could have made a whole movie out of this. Yeah, agreed. But then like, it's kind of lame. I mean, it's a kid's movie. Stella ends up basically talking to Sarah. And saying, you're being a bully. You're doing the thing that you hated. Exactly. Convincing her that what she's doing is wrong and I'm going to tell your story. In exchange for stopping this and going to heaven or wherever, I will tell your story. You know, you have to write it in your blood is what Sarah says and hands her the pen. So now we have a magic pen that writes these stories that never existed anywhere ever in the story up to this point. And then uh, Stella, you know, cuts herself with it and starts to write the story of what really happened to Sarah Bellows mm-hmm. in this book. The story that we already told you guys. Yes. And you might be thinking, oh, well, then Augie and Chuck must come back. They don't. They don't. That's kind of, that's supposed to be the premise for the second film. So Ramon goes, off goes to Vietnam. back to Vietnam. Like, you didn't have to. <laughs> Why is this part of it? Because what happens to ev- literally everyone else? We have Dean Norris, Stella's dad. Right, We have Stella and we have Ruth all decide that they're going off on a road trip with this book to find out how they can save Augie and Chuck. Yeah, I love that it's implied like a, a road trip. Like, where do you have to go? Yeah. Didn't everything happen here? Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> anyway, uh, but yeah, so like Ramon could have just gone with them. Yeah. So like why they felt the need that like, oh, yes, like you said earlier, now Ramon is doing the right thing and going to war. Like, no! <laughs> what? What are you trying to say, movie? <sighs> anyway, that is Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. I have a question for you. Yeah. How do we feel about whether or not this movie should have just been a straight anthology film? With maybe a wraparound story, like in Campfire Tales. I disagree. I liked this. No, I'm not saying I think that. I'm wondering how do you feel and like why do you think that? I thought this was... Well done. And here's the thing. I like anthology films. Do not get me wrong. I love them. Uh, But. Except for Creepshow. Yep. And kind of Campfire Tales. (laughs) I liked Campfire Tales. It was fine. It's fine. Just like Tales of the Crypt was fine. Yeah. Uh, But like I love like holidays. Uh Yeah. (laughs) Maybe that's just because they're weird. They're fun bite-sized short stories. You don't have to think about the consequences very much. Exactly. uh, Let's get to a spooky thing happening and then cut, move on to the next story. And yeah. Uh But I liked this 
Now, I agree, it's not super strong. There's a lot of weak spots that it's just like, if I were to push just a little bit on that, it would tear. Now, originally, this was supposed to be directed by Guillermo del Toro. And ultimately, they brought in this other director. What do you think would have happened to the movie if it was Guillermo del Toro? I absolutely 100% firmly believe it would have been a lot stronger. He would not have allowed as many cracks to be there. I agree. Do you think it would have changed its tone a little bit? No. I think this is right what his tone. I But I mean it's maybe a little, a little bit more childish than he goes yeah, normally. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. But fucking Pan's Labyrinth, man. Like he he Yeah, knows. but there's nothing childish about Pan's Labyrinth. That is not a children's movie. Uh, yeah, granted it's not a kids movie. I understand that. That's what I'm saying. Would that happen to so this movie? There's so much whimsy there. But would do you think this would become no longer a kids movie? Oh. Or a family-friendly movie. Do I think Guillermo del Toro can do family-friendly movies? I think he can, think he but can. do you think he would? And I think that this is, if he was going to... This would to, have been his opportunity? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Okay. Like, this is what he would have done. Yeah. But you're fine with it being an actual end-to-end plot. Yes. And not an anthology. I preferred that here. Okay. Yeah. Cool. All right. It also, you know, it opens up for a sequel, which I'm happy to watch. Yeah, who knows if it'll ever happen. So, Kelsey. Yeah. What do you think the movie has on Rotten Tomatoes? Well, you're saying that a lot of people did like it, just not a lot of people saw it. So Yeah, I don't think it did that well. Because I don't remember a lot of people liking this. It just didn't have much of an impact. I guess there just isn't that big of a market for family-friendly horror, but I I can't wait to show these kinds of this kind of shit to my kids. Well, you know, it did okay. Worldwide. So domestic it did 68, 69 million. Nice. <laughs> Off of a $25 million budget. It usually what they say is like it's supposed to make back its money if it's a really good movie in its opening, right? It didn't. It made $20 million out of a $25 million budget. But it continued to make more money. It made $69 million, And ultimately worldwide it cracked $100 million. So it did okay. Probably I, not as good as they expected it to do. I will guess a 77. It's 78. There you go. Like the best-selling series of books that inspired it, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark opens a creepy gateway into horror for younger genre enthusiasts. A Metacritic of 61 for some weird reason, and a cinema score of C. I can see how by the end of the movie you might be a little bit put off. The ending is a little cheesy, so I get it. Yeah. You might be feeling like... all oh, the good tension and horror. Yeah, that they, they didn't follow me. through with the good stuff. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. I could see why maybe it would come out as a C. So what would you give it? Do you think 78's overrated or underrated? I'll do one better. I'll give it a 79. How about that? Really? You think it's too low? You think I'm giving it too low? No, I think that's too high. Really? Not by much, though. Like, I think this movie is firmly in the mid to high 70s. I was going to go 75 at the lowest. You know, I'll do a 76 just to mix it up a little bit. (sighs) I think it's good. Yeah. And I think, you know, with the caveat of if you're into horror that's not too graphic and might be good for people of all ages, but like legitimate horror. Yeah. This is not a kid's movie. Like when we say that, don't get the wrong impression. This is horror that's okay for kids, but it is still horror. Yes. So like, yeah, I think it does a very good job of that. I'll give it a 76. And that is 2019's Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. That ends Scary Stories Week on Pod Cemetery. 
we're not watching anything next week. Well, we're not going to have anything up on time next week. Yeah, so basically we're going to kind of morph the next two episodes together. We're not going we're going to do two movies, so you are going to get one less episode than you would normally get. Uh, but we'll, we will try to get the episode up earlier than it normally would go. So, for instance, we're not going to be here. We're not even going to be in the state for the next several days. We just do not have an opportunity to to watch and record and edit and do all of that. So we do apologize for that. But instead of just having you wait until when the next one's due, we'll try to maybe split the difference if possible and get it out a little bit earlier. We're going to try to do a 4th of July episode. Yes, it just probably won't no be up until the third. Yeah, no guarantees, but we will. And then we try. probably won't have our next one until the twelfth. Yeah, that'll put us back on regular schedule. Yeah, so we'll we'll do we'll we'll be missing the next episode, and we'll try to do the episode after that a little bit earlier than it would normally be. Yes. That's what we're going to try to do to maybe compromise. So maybe we can do a Fourth of July summer episode. So yes. what are we watching then, Kelsey? It's our Independence Day, guys. Yep. So we're watching all you Americans out there. We're watching Independence. Are we are we doing both Independence Days or what's happening? Oh, I forgot there was the sequel. We could do that. I'm not interested in seeing the sequel. Okay. I don't even know how. Like we're already stretching things a little bit on the horror definition for this. Welcome to Earth. Yes. (laughs) Thank you for correctly pronouncing it because he does in the movie, but. It has, it definitely has these horror elements where these are monster aliens. They want to take over the world. Yeah, no, totally, totally, totally. They kill lots of people. I know, but it is very heavily action oriented. I'm just saying, I think the sequel is even more action oriented. I didn't see it, but that was the impression that I got. I had no interest in seeing it. But I am excited about seeing ID4. Remember when that was what it was called? No. It was called ID4 because it's Independence Day and it's July 4th. But it's like four is nowhere in the title of the movie. But that was on all the marketing materials. It was like they were trying to do slang before like slang was really a th- like stop trying to make ID4 happen. It's <laughs> not going to happen. <laughs> but yeah, so we're going to watch Independence Day. And a movie I've never heard of called You Are Not Alone. It takes place on the 4th. I feel like I've heard of it. Okay. I have no idea what it's about. It's a pretty generic title, so. (laughs) All right, so not next Monday, but hopefully in time for July 4th, we will be doing Independence Day. Today is is our Independence Day. And if you're you not, not an American, alone. you're probably like, what? No, the whole point is by the end of the movie, it's the world's Independence Day. <laughs> Just happens to be heavily America focused. Why because is the helicopter us, sideways the when the, the White House blows perish. up? Yeah, I guess. I mean, it's kind of the way it goes. I've never, I, I'm going to really, really, really look at that White House blowing up scene or the Capitol building or whatever it was. I can't remember. I think it was the White House. It's the White House. Yeah, because there's a helicopter flying by that gets caught in the explosion. <laughs> but it's like sideways for some reason. And like it's sideways <laughs> before the explosion hits it. So like I'm, it's it's what I remember and it's what I see every single time. And I've never actually sat down and analyzed what's going on in that shot. So I'm really excited for the opportunity to do that this time. <laughs> Expect a full 10 minutes of conversation about that shot. I'll try to contain myself. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> All right. That is next week for Independence Day. We really appreciate you sticking with us over this weird scheduling thing going on over the next couple weeks. So thank you. Until then, you can always find us at our website, podcemetery.com. And follow us on Twitter at Pod Cemetery. I'll be putting up a lot of artwork for scary stories at the very least. Don't forget to subscribe to us in your podcatcher of choice and rate and review. A five-star written review is the biggest help you can give us there. But even bigger than that is just sharing the show with your friends. But even bigger than that is listening in the GD first place. Thank you all very, very much. We love each and every one of you. Until next week, I've been Chris. I've been Kelsey. And this has been Pod Cemetery. But before we go, Kelsey, any last words? Where the fuck am I going to find M&M's? I don't want to be buried in a pet cemetery. I don't want to live my life again. I don't want to be buried in a pet cemetery. I don't want to live my life again. The to the sacred place to see the dream I can't escape more loosened fangs that are picking up bones spirits moaning among the tombstones this is my voice on TV and there's this, this my the ghost of my dad no she, first she says my dad who's a cowboy is off tending the herd or whatever Meow, meow. Is this heaven? Or is it just a white woman? White woman's Instagram. White woman. White woman's Instagram. Uh, hair, hair starts calling, coming. Straw. Hey, yeah. It, like, it. I wish he specifically said peanut, because I kind of love that. It's specifically she wants peanut M&M. Yeah. Uh-huh. I love that he knew that. Uh, peanut? She's like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>